Hello and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good afternoon. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, a lot, a lot has happened since we last spoke, hasn't it? A lot and not a lot. Um, there's definitely a lot of narrative, but it's a fairly quiet weekend in terms of games, though, wasn't it? There wasn't a huge amount of action with a few teams just not, not playing at all. But there was uh, some movement at the top of the league. Uh, Liverpool regained the lead in the title race. Uh, a little bit of movement at the bottom in the battle for the drop and two FA Cup semi-finals. One a classic and one instantly forgettable, I would say. More on that later. The championship as well and plenty of big news there. But first of all, we need to get stuck into that Premier League and where better place to start than on a balmy Friday night on the South Coast where Liverpool were triumphant beating Southampton. 3-1, but it wasn't quite all plain sailing, was it? It wasn't, no. I, I mean, it's a massive win for Liverpool, and I think you're at the stage of the season now where performances don't really matter, it's all about results, and you kind of fear that any drop points for either them or Manchester City at this stage could spell the end for, for the other one's yeah. title bid. So I think that we need to look at this in, in, in two ways and probably analyse the, the first 80 minutes versus the last 10 <laughs> minutes. And for the first 80 minutes, I thought that Liverpool were not dragged down Southampton's level but they certainly weren't performing at the level that we've expected from them so far this season Uh, there may have been nerves but I think it was more just the fact that teams don't tend to play against Liverpool in the way that Southampton did on Friday night there was an element of Liverpool's pressing involved in in the way that Saints approached the game and they got in their faces in the first half and were causing a lot of problems and to go ahead in the manner that they did just showed the defensive frailties that Liverpool have started to uncover in recent weeks. Virgil van Dijk was obviously caught in no man's land between... Much to your delight. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and not just me, but I think it's quite it's quite nice for people to see that he is human because yeah. there's now been a couple of, of, of errors in recent weeks where you think against a better team that probably would have been more costly and that will be a worry going into these Champions League games because on paper... They've got the easiest draw of the four English clubs, but if they continue to make mistakes at the rate that they have done, then the likelihood is they'll they'll get punished in more ways. But a decent goal from Southampton's point of view, it was yeah. quite unbelievable to see that Shane Long scored. But I, I think me or you could have probably put that one away. It wasn't the hardest finish, was it? And um, he brought everyone back down to earth about five minutes later when he missed a, a pretty good opportunity to put Saints two 0 up. And at that stage, that could have been the title going towards Manchester but obviously Liverpool came back into it towards the end of the first half yeah I, I thought my shout of one all last week the, the quite optimistic shout for one all was going to come in and um, yeah I think you know you have to give credit to Liverpool a- again for you know not for the first time in recent weeks they've showed a lot of resolve to um, well, obviously come from behind initially and then just keep plugging away to get the win and you know I wonder if if Southampton were obviously looking for maybe a little bit more in that game, they maybe could have played it a little bit safer towards the end. And, and you know, Liverpool possess a huge amount of talent when it comes to counter-attacking football, and they showed that. 100%. I think that that's the problem. In Southampton's position, and we talked about this last week, it was a no-loss, really, for them. It was It was one of those games where everyone expects them to lose. And... I think that showed by committing 10 players forward when you've got, oh, sorry, nine players forward when you've got a corner with only 10 minutes left against the team that are, that are second in the league. I think normally you just wouldn't do that as yeah. a side who's threatened by relegation. But it just shows that the manager there now wants the team to go out and beat teams. And, and we've seen in performances against Tottenham and Manchester United in recent weeks that they are good enough to do that. So I think it's 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 fine saying that in hindsight that it that it probably was a little bit of a slapdash approach. But 
if we'd have scored from that corner and it was one of the nine men that we'd have put in the box, then everyone would have been celebrating the fact. So Very true. It's one of those. I, I don't think that 3-1 was, was a fair result. I think 2-1 would have probably been fairer. I'm not sure that Liverpool really merited the, the third goal. But what it does show is how quickly they can open teams up and how quickly they can hit teams on the counter-attack. We need to mention Mohamed Salah because... I made a prediction last week that he would definitely yep. score, and that prediction came in, which was probably a bit of a safer bet than your than your one all prediction. And I think that Jamie Carragher did his virtual reality thing again last night, put the uh, the mask of doom on, and showed everyone Salah's route to the to the penalty area in a, in yet another pointless feature from Sky Sports. And I hope he falls over at some point. Have you seen the Ronnie O'Sullivan yeah, clip? Just about. I just want that to happen. If you, if so you haven't bad. seen it, go and look at it. Well, he's he's. he's He's basically taking a snooker shot with his virtual reality headset on, headset on, but takes it a little bit too literal. Um, Tries to lead on the table, doesn't he? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll 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 put that out on our uh, on our Twitter page later on. But I think yeah, Salah deserves credit. Liverpool deserve credit, and it will be probably one of the games that they saw as a potential banana skin. It, yeah. As daft as it might sound. I think they will feel more comfortable at home against Chelsea this weekend than they did in that game against Southampton on Friday, and. I think that there's obviously a a big game this week in the Champions League, but out of all of the teams that are still playing in Europe, Liverpool probably have the potential to rest players, whereas Manchester City probably don't. I think it's going to be an intriguing one with, with Liverpool because they could potentially just try and get the comfortable win. You know, they could go out tonight and 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 try and win three or four. Who knows what Porto are like now? They've they've probably improved since last year when they beat them. I think it was, was it 5-0 or 5-1 and I think if they could get a comfortable win tonight it maybe takes the pressure off the away leg that said I think we all know that Liverpool out of the two competitions would probably prefer to win the league as well so it'll be interesting to see what approach they do take whether they go gung-ho or whether they do rest a few players um, obviously it's a, an important weekend coming up for both them and Manchester City both got tough uh, games in the Champions League ultimately whatever happens and then City away at Palace Liverpool hosting Chelsea we'll get on to Chelsea a little bit later on but you know City away at Palace is, is a tough game as well and I think this weekend has the potential to upset both of them you know not just one of them both of them it's massive and, and also the fact that they are playing within a couple of hours of each other it, yep. it's not been like this for a little while has there there's, al- there's always been a bit of a gap between the two games so this is the first time that we'll see them go back to back in in televised matches and I suppose it's just who blinks first if if City beat Palace convincingly then the pressure really is on Liverpool because if they if they drop points against Chelsea then it's a three point deficit rather than a one point deficit and and it's it's really really interesting we've said it all along the most important thing from both teams point of view is that they get through these midweek fixtures without any injuries to key players because at this stage of the season that could be the difference absolutely well let's move on to the battle at the bottom Southampton did lose and that probably gave some encouragement for Burnley who despite an early scare at Bournemouth secured what you'd have to say was a vital three points yeah I um I must admit when Bournemouth went ahead right at the start of this game I I, I was relatively pleased and it's it's one of those as a Southampton fan where you're looking at the teams around you and you're hoping that they don't pick up points but what it has done is it's created a bigger gap now between Burnley and Cardiff and it probably takes a bit of pressure off Burnley going into the weekend's game against um, yeah. against the team from Wales so I, I think that they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they approached that game they could have let their heads drop after going 1-0 down and let's be honest Bournemouth have been in really poor form of late yeah. and, and Burnley 
capitalised on the fact that they were playing a team bereft of any real confidence. There were defensive errors. I think Azmir Begovic for the first goal is, is in no man's land really and Chris Wood obviously has a very easy tap in at the back post and, and from there I think Burnley saw that, that there was a real opportunity to go and win the game and Bournemouth looked all at sea in this one but we, we've we said it throughout the season if you don't take your chances at Premier League level then you will struggle and I think Burnley showed that they were pretty clinical in this game and, and yeah. in the likes of Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes they've got players who can get you goals at really crucial moments I think you know they showed they can manage the game very well on Saturday as you've just said They've got some level of firepower in the squad and I think if you can learn to manage games and, and nick a goal here and there, I think that's crucial. And, you know, they they very much played on the errors from, from Bournemouth. I think Begovic was probably at fault for two goals and, you know, the, the second goal where Westwood basically gets the ball passed to him and, and he's able to shoot is, is just poor. And, I mean, Bournemouth, uh, only the second side in Premier League history to concede over 60 goals in four consecutive seasons and... That's massive. Uh, the only other club to do that's Wigan, and you know, look at where they've ended up. Yeah, that's so, not the best company. No, is exactly. It? And you know, if if they cut that by, you know, ten goals, fifteen goals, that's absolutely huge for them. Bournemouth would be would be flying because they have so much ability going forward. So, and it just shows this sort of weekend where they're just struggling to find the target. Callum Wilson's missed a few chances that he would have gobbled up earlier in the season, and. You know, if you can at least be a little bit sure at the back, you can have those off days and still afford to, you know, have a nil-nil or possibly even just lose one-nil. But to lose to to Burnley, you know, no disrespect, but to lose three-one in in that manner is is a very very poor result for them. It is, and it's it's one that will worry Eddie Howe because it, it's almost like Bournemouth do this season in season out. They have a really good start to the season or a really good middle to the season and they look comfortable and then towards the end of the season they just seem to drop off and the closer they get to the relegation zone the more pressure there is on those players and they're in no danger whatsoever of getting relegated the the gap between them and the teams below them is big enough however they're now at the top of that group rather than in the in the chasing pack yeah, for sort of absolutely. the top half of the table and that will disappoint anyhow because they strengthened in January and, and they've spent a, a good amount of money in recent years and it's almost like they have this attitude issue which which doesn't allow them to get to the next level and they need to do something about what you've already mentioned. Conceding that many goals at that level isn't good enough for a team who harbour ambitions of progression and I think I, I took note of the attendance at this game and it will be really disappointing that they can't even sell out these Premier League games when they've got a capacity of 11,000 people. There's, there was There was over 1,000 empty seats there on Saturday and for a Premier League game, that that just shouldn't happen. There's and they're no, looking at increasing that as well. Aren't and they? this is what I mean. If you if you're going to spend all this money on on new players, if you're going to go out and build a new training ground and 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 have a new stadium, then you've got to be selling your stadium out week in week out. And and failure to do that will be a disappointment not only for Eddie Howe but for the powers that be off the pitch. And they'll be looking at that closely because if Bournemouth continue to struggle towards the end of the season and more fans drop away, then that doesn't bode that well for the future. No, you're absolutely right. But Burnley, you know, the win moved them up to 14th. Eight points from the relegation zone now. Southampton as a result of that loss to Liverpool. Five points above. Tough game against Wolves this weekend, you'd say. Burnley obviously hosts Cardiff. And, you know, that could be all they need to stay up as well. It's, it's just bit, another big weekend. It is. But, it, I mean, it's got to the stage from a Southampton point of view where a couple of weekends ago I would have absolutely snapped your hand off for a draw in that Burnley-Cardiff game because yeah. it would have given no momentum to either side. And, now I'm absolutely desperate for Burnley <laughs> to win and, and that sort of shows 
how much difference one weekend can make down there and if they win I think that's absolutely them out of it and at least yes. one place for Southampton, Brighton and, and, and Cardiff really but you'd imagine that if, if Cardiff are unable to win this one against Burnley then that would possibly be it for them two teams you would expect are out of it but probably an unexpected result this weekend Newcastle lost to Crystal Palace at St James's Park and you know it, it could be pivotal pivotal come to the end of the season because Newcastle would have been expecting to win that I think Palace probably would have said they were safe anyway but Newcastle they just weren't at the races you know this is the game you would you'd have it nailed on to not lose at the very least and I think to go down in the manner that they did as well not even scoring I think really they were reduced to half chances you'd probably say Rondon maybe missed a couple that you'd expect him to get yeah and I'm surprised like you are in this one because it was almost like um, a relegation playoff in some ways basically whichever team won this game were guaranteed survival in the Premier League that the amount of points that I think Palace are up to 39 points now I think Newcastle is still on 36 and 36 is, is probably likely to be enough even at this stage because I think Cardiff have got 28 however a win in this one and it just would have made everything easier it would have allowed them to explore what options there are on Rafa Benitez's future because obviously he said that he won't discuss that until they're mathematically safe yeah. or, or at least it looks like they're safe and it, it is disappointing. I think Newcastle have struggled quite considerably in, in, in recent weeks. and They've had a couple of injuries to key players. Uh, Lejeune got injured in this game. He's been taken off and they've said that he's going to be out for a considerable amount of time. And They, they just need that one victory really to get them over the line. And I think we, we probably need to have a little look at what Crystal Palace have been able to do because yet again it's a penalty that was, that's won the game for them. Yet again it's a penalty won by Wilfred Zahar. And Every time Milijevic steps up for a penalty, you don't really expect him to miss. I know that he's missed a couple in his Premier League career and obviously the one that he missed against Manchester City last season, which everyone sort of expected him to score and in their unbeaten run. But it it just seems like a a foregone conclusion when they get a penalty nowadays. And obviously towards the end of the game, it was an absolute killer and and there wasn't really anywhere that Newcastle were going to come back from it. But Roy Hodgson deserves immense credit. We talk a lot about the managers in the bottom half of the table and he seems to go under the radar a little bit. Palace have, have obviously had their struggles in the past and they've they've got over the issues of trying to play without Wilfred Zahar this season and I think they've showed that even without a potent strike force they're able to compete against some of the best teams in the division and you just wonder how good they could be with a striker. It must be so frustrating as a fan to watch them because you could see that they're you know they are kind of one or two players off being up there and you just it, there is so much talent in the team they're relatively solid at the back you, they're, they're quite reliable as well um you've got players like Zahar in there who is a joy to watch you know as a fan that's the sort of player that you absolutely want to go and watch and I think you, you then you're looking at what's in front of them you've got you know Benteke Batshuayi has, has just been anonymous really since he's, played, since he's been there and that was his real opportunity to go and shine especially given what's happening at Chelsea he's, he's got a route into the team next year or, or to be in and around the team and he's, he's passed that up you know he's passed that up and you would argue that he is probably a worse option than Benteke on, on the face of things which is the worrying thing and I, I don't really know the reason for this is it that that because Wilfred Zaha holds onto the ball so much forwards get into positions that they think that they're going to be able to to score from and because the ball isn't delivered they then try and get in other positions but, are they trying too hard Zaha is very consistent in in how he plays so yes he doesn't always get the ball in but 
nine, you know, maybe not nine times out of ten, but at least half the time, it will put the ball into an area. And surely you just work that through in training. That's that's what you're there for. You're there to build your relationships up with these players. And Sahar's going to play every single game, and he plays exactly the same way. You should just be able to get used to it. You should just be able to adapt to your to the style of play and, and put yourself in those positions. If you're a good enough player, which you know Benteke and Batshuayi have proved in the past, they absolutely should be. I think you're right, and we need to mention the Benteke ticker. It's uh, it's over it's a year it's broke without it's, it's a goal just, now. Um, the Benteke ticker's run out of battery. Yeah, and and you just wonder whether he needs to move to another club to to try and re-establish himself because Carlisle. Possibly, but he was so good at Villa, and I know that some players tend to leave too early, and and it just shows that going to a club like Liverpool at the time wasn't the best move for him. And we see it so often nowadays that clubs come in for players on the back of one or two good seasons, and they 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 tend to disappoint because they're unable to consistently meet that level of better better football clubs. The, the difficult thing with the Liverpool move was that they played just the worst style of football for him. I, I genuinely said at the time, if he'd have gone to Manchester United I think he would have done relatively well you know he was at the time that he moved was kind of held on a very similar level to Romelu Lukaku they were very similar types of players they were obviously challenging each other on the national side and I think Benteke was probably in there more often than Lukaku was and I think Lukaku's shown that over the years at Manchester United he's probably not been fantastic in every game but he still scored goals and that was always the way that they played with quite a direct striker someone up top whether on their own or whether playing with someone else who could bully players and they've had that through the years and Liverpool playing you know the, the kind of counter-attacking football they were playing Andy Carroll went there and did nothing Benteke went there and did nothing they haven't really got a player like that now you know Firmino is the is the one man that kind of sticks and, and holds the ball up but that's always on the floor really he, you know he battles away and they're, they're very different types of players and I just think there's certain players that are suited for certain clubs and he just wasn't and potentially is not for Crystal Palace Talking of players that are suited to certain clubs Jamie Vardy has been a stalwart at Leicester for quite a while now and he looks like he may be getting back to his best he was obviously integral in their 4-1 victory at Huddersfield on Saturday and uh it's fair to say that Big Brendan's getting quite a lot out of those Leicester players that Claude Puel was unable to do. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I'm excited watching them. I think they play a great brand of football. That I don't think it's massively different to what Claude Puel did um, and, and what they've done previously. They've got a formula, they stick to it, and, and it's difficult to play against. But I think what Rodgers does is, is probably organising them a little bit more and just gets them up for it as well. You know, this is the sort of game that, realistically, they probably could have gone there and won 2-0 relatively easily um, I don't think Huddersfield were ever going to trouble them too much but they're going out to try and win every game now and, and win as as best they can and you know Vardy looks as good as he has done pro- certainly since they won the title you've got players like Madison who's you know an exciting player scored a wonderful goal this weekend uh, Tillemans looks a player as well he's got goals or assists in his last six and you know they'll be desperate to hold on to him and, and I'm intrigued to see what other business they'll do in the summer because there is a, a slight need to refresh there, but obviously they're showing now that they've still got a very much capable squad as well. Yeah, I mean, if you want to compete with the likes of a top four English club or a, or a side from the top four in Spain, then you need to identify and you need to try and secure your targets early. And that's what Leicester will be looking to do. I think if they're able to sign Tielemans, it would be a wonderful start to, to the recruitment drive that Rodgers feels that he needs at the club. And he's been 
really exciting since he came in in January and somebody who had been talked about in in conversations with Barcelona with Real Madrid because when he was coming through as a as a young younger player in Belgium he was he was considered to be a superstar and well, he's probably not doing Leicester any favours at the minute is it well that's like that's it but I mean they will see him as as a as a real option I know he came out after the game and said that he wants to keep his options open and, and he's not made any decisions about his future yet but for somebody like him he's the kind of player that that Rodgers could mould that side around and they've got so much so much youth in that Leicester team that a couple of additions and they could quite easily be knocking on the door of the top six absolutely there was a positive for Huddersfield I think we have to rejoice at that they scored a goal albeit a penalty and a dubious one at that yeah but they'll take anything they can get at the <laughs> moment won't they 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 just need to blood players for next season it'd, and it'd be nice to see them win a couple of games before the end of the season as long as it's as long as it's not the out. last day of the season away at Southampton I, I don't mind they can win as many as they want between now and then as, as far as I can you'll be safe by then I really but hope so let's go to the top of the table again and look at the Champions League place race where the Arsenal place race the place I like race, it yeah. I like it the I'm Champions League place race yeah yeah where uh, Everton zoomed into Arsenal with a 1-0 win kind of works yeah I'm just trying to keep the space shit going the um, the away day curse struck yet yes. again for Arsenal didn't it they were so poor and given the recent run of momentum that they built up you, you kind of thought that this would be an opportunity to further cement that champ- Champions League place and it is a bit of a worry when you look at the fact that they've got to go to Watford, Wolves, Leicester and Burnley before the end of the season and they've been poor obviously on the road and none of those places are places where you'd particularly look forward to going, are they? It wouldn't they? surprise you to see them lose all four of those games, would it? And that will be a real concern for you now, Emery. Obviously, they've got a really tough fixture in, in the Europa League and it may well be that in a couple of weeks' time that's their only possible route into the yep. Champions League and it's just something that seems to change week in week out and and a couple of weeks ago we thought that Arsenal were kind of dead and buried and then they put in some really strong performances and you think well actually they'll be all right and it's similar to Chelsea as well we'll we'll come on to talk about them in a second but one result at the moment versus a team who let's be honest aren't really going to trouble you in somebody like West Ham or Everton should be enough to to give you the confidence that you need and you look at Chelsea beating West Ham and Arsenal losing to Everton both of those sides would have pinpointed those games as ones that they could go and get something from because neither of the teams have really got too much to play for and it just shows the the absolute requirement to stay on top of your game for a side chasing a, a top four place because we know how much money you're attached to those Champions League places but not only that, it can be the difference between bringing in a transfer target and not in the summer. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I want to get your opinion on the away record because I just I don't understand, particularly in this day and age, the, the, the quality of the stadiums, the facilities that players go and play in is, you know, it's possibly not exactly the same, but they're very, very high quality now. And, you know, Goodison Park's a lovely place to go and play football. How how are Arsenal so Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to home and away games? I just I, I just don't get it now. I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? Nobody seems to be able to put their finger on why it happens, and it it was obviously something that people discussed at the start of this season was the need to strengthen away from home, and they've managed to turn the home form around and become far less inconsistent at home. But Emery has to do something about that away form, and you just wonder if they'd have won four or five more away games this season and they yeah, would be exactly. uh, alongside where Tottenham are at the moment and, and could have been 
pushing the top two at some point. But that's the issue with Arsenal. They have been inconsistent for years on end now and something needs to change. I've said it all season. I think they miss a leader. I think that, that they're still without anyone who's going to drive that side forward. And I think that it's been that way for quite a while now. I understand that giving someone like Metzer Ozil the captain's armband might make him play a little bit better. But I'm not convinced it does anything for the other players on the pitch. And that's what Emery needs to consider in the summer is who can they bring in that's going to make a big difference to the other 10 players that they're playing with rather than try and boost the confidence of somebody who's not been very good for the last year or two now. And you mentioned Chelsea before. They did beat West Ham 2-0. And, you know, they they looked very kind of fluid and comfortable on Monday night. And you, you could argue that was possibly down to some bathing hammers but you know one player in particular had his head very much in the game and and that was Eden Hazard he was magnificent and you know I would say it's probably as good as an individual performance you'll see from any player this season and he took both goals well the first one was was a cracker and you know he just just kind of glided through the centre of the pitch and has he got his winky eyes on is he winking (laughs) at anyone in particular I think that there was a lot made of this goal last night. I was listening to the radio when they were talking about it and they said it was nailed on for goal of the season. And I've watched it a few times. I'm not convinced no. it's goal of the season. I think it was very well taken. John McGinn's and Jack Grealish's, yeah. <laughs> But you look at the the defending there from West Ham. You've got five players and you, all one of you needs to do is just yeah. take him out. Robert Hoot was on the radio and obviously he was a, a relatively uncompromising centre-half in his day. And he just said, just take one for the team. There's no reason to allow him to get that close to you. And the minute that he gets within a foot of the penalty area then that's where players understandably withdrew their, yeah. their their tackles because you don't want to give away a penalty and it's typical Eden Hazard we've seen him do it so many times that low centre of gravity that he's got is too much for players and especially when you're going at pace because you know how much it, it, it takes it's just a little touch and you can go over and you'd argue that West Ham got lucky not to give a penalty away when Arnautovic yeah. decided to kind of shoulder barge him off the ball but he wasn't really anywhere near the ball and I, I'm not convinced that 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 shouldn't have been given. I think it probably was a penalty, and I think if if they go in at half time two 0 up, then the game is probably four or five nil. As it happened, I think West Ham got away with one a little bit because they were really poor in this game and they didn't get punished until the last minute where Hazard got a second, and it it was all too easy for Chelsea. But at this stage in the season, it's difficult to to argue with that sort of performance from West Ham because their hard work was put in in sort of November, December, and January, picking up the points that they needed to get them to to where they are now which is a comfortable position within the top 10 and Chelsea going to third just you know amazingly last week we were kind of talking about them you know not really being anywhere near the top four and, and now they're, they're in there they're very much in there and I think it was interesting you know they started with Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi again both impressed and I, I wonder whether we see Loftus-Cheek in with a shout start for England a little bit more if he becomes that regular start for Chelsea he's been in and around the squad he's obviously played in the World Cup in the summer and you know, he's had a hand in goals in each of his last four starts for Chelsea. He's becoming more and more consistent, and you know, I I think he's got all of the attributes that that England need. Uh, I think you know we saw Ross Barkley impress over the two games, but he probably gives you that little bit more physicality as well in the middle of the park. Uh, yeah, he 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 brings something different, and I'm still yet to be fully convinced by him. But I think the only reason is that I've not seen enough of him and. Chelsea fans probably haven't seen enough of him either. He, he, he's been on the periphery, and like you say, the impact that he's had in the four games that he's played decent minutes in it will be like a new signing for Chelsea, but it still remains to be seen whether or not they're going to be able to keep hold of him in the summer or whether a bid from a top club will actually allow him to go somewhere. I, I don't know how the the transfer embargo affects outgoing players, but I, I would assume that given the link that Eden Hazard has had away 
from Chelsea that, that, that yeah yeah they'll be able to go I I have just mentioned that West Ham were sitting comfortably in uh, the top 10 and they're actually no. 11th four yeah. points off the the, the the team in 10th so rather than writing in getting in touch and letting me know that I've made that mistake it's uh, it's been been noted incorrect just a, a quick one on Loftus-Cheek I was talking to to one of our friends the other day and he works with a girl who is a big Chelsea fan and uh, I think she likes the handsome chaps in the team she mentioned uh, Olivier Giroud obviously and uh, she also mentioned um, Rufus Lofthouse Creek. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure how much she watches. Um, but, yeah, I thought, uh, I thought Jonathan, that was quite interesting. Jonathan's brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's all for the Premier League. Join us after this break where we take a trip to the Championship and to Wembley. Um, maybe it, it takes me one or two games to adapt, but for me it's... It, it's not a problem. The one criticism of the French league is it's it's a little bit uh, boring, you know. They yeah, and I, I can understand, you know. I watched uh, Lille yesterday. They have ten men and they're happy to lose one nil. Uh, you know, they they have ten men and for me, you might as well lose five nil as one nil. And it just dawned on me that obviously <laughs> my worst nightmares coming through, and I'm, I'm obviously doing this ridiculous French accent. Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast, and it's time to take that trip to the Championship where we've got an excited Mitchell Willis because Aston Villa, of course, kept their winning run going. More on that shortly. There was a full programme of Championship games on Saturday, and it's because it was sandwiched between two lots of midweek fixtures, and what a weekend it was to start at the top. Norwich once again impressively brushed aside their opposition with relative ease. 4-0 win over managerless QPR and they need just 11 points from their last six games to guarantee a return to the Premier League. Further help by Leeds United losing 1-0 at Birmingham. who were desperate for the win, of course, and uh, they were leapfrogged by Sheffield United who won 1-0 at Preston courtesy of a David McGoldrick goal and that win for Birmingham was important though. It's uh, Wins for rivals Millwall and Rotherham, uh, who both beat playoff hopefuls, West Brom and Nottingham Forest respectively, whilst Wigan snatched a late equaliser against Bristol City too. So it's tight. Ipswich won as well. Amazingly, Ipswich won this week. Still fighting, aren't they? They haven't gone yet. They haven't mathematically gone, no. But uh, mentioned those sides in and around the playoffs, tripping up, and that wasn't it. Derby drew 3-0 with Brentford, whilst Middlesbrough lost their sixth on the bounce, going down 3-1 at Swansea. In fact, Michael, the only side below the top three, down to 11th to win, was, of course, Aston Villa. It beat former boss Steve Bruce's Sheffield Wednesday 3-1 at Hillsborough. And, you know, it's a huge win in, in the grand scheme of things, but I think we're quite fortunate on the face of it. We had to come from behind after conceding an early goal, scored two in injury time to wrap up three points, but we were under the cosh for large parts of the game, and... That was Steve Bruce's first defeat as manager of Wednesday. But they remain just six points off the playoffs with plenty of football left to play. What's going to happen next? I don't know, but I, I was about to ask whether I could read the text message out that you sent me on uh, <laughs> on Saturday at full time. But I've just looked back at it and it's definitely not safe for uh, anyone's ears. So I, it was in reference to Steve Bruce. He'd said a couple of things in the week uh, about uh, Aston Villa and their fans and um, his own reputation and unfortunately he lost the game and I was happy to rub it in his big face you were I think you referred Very to him as a big face. potato head yes. was the start of the text and that's yeah. probably the nicest I've part I've never thrown a cabbage me. at him though have I Could no be worse. that's very true you know there was a coconut thrown at someone yes. in the uh, Hearts Hibs game at the weekend it's, um, 
It's getting silly, isn't it? Scotland is a silly place. Is um, is about all I can say about that. In football, in terms, of course. Yes, in football, in terms. But I tell you what's not silly: the FA Cup. It's bloody exciting in in half of it, at least. Anyway, it is indeed. And we're not going to start with Manchester City Brighton as the weekend did. We're going to go talk about it at all. Let's just kind of glance over it towards the end. Yeah, we're going to go to Wolves Watford because what. What a game! I, I honestly, I can't remember a more enjoyable semi-final as a neutral for 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 a long, long time. And the game just had everything. It had a two-goal lead for Wolves, an almighty comeback from Watford, a questionable last-minute penalty decision, a wonderful chip finish, a ballsy club captain, and a lot of Portuguese <laughs> disappointment. And you'd probably argue that Wolves probably went into this game as slight favourites, and it yeah. was it was them who went ahead in the 36th minute when Watford obviously switched off defensively to allow Matt Doherty to, to continue his fantastic season in front of goal and it, it was a relatively simple back post header and something that would be disappointing because Javi Grazia tends to have his Watford sides organised and they kind of looked all at sea in that first half. And they're big as well aren't they? You know they they can kind of handle any aerial presence and you know Wolves have got that certainly in abundance with someone like Jimenez and, and the um, and the centre half that come forward as well and yeah, I think it was it would have been a disappointing one. I think Watford, for large parts of that game, probably will have been quite disappointed as well. Yeah, and it was probably fair that Wolves doubled their lead, wasn't it? It was a great finish from Raul Jimenez in the... I think it was just after the hour mark, and I want to get your thoughts on the celebration, Mitch. Are you are you a fan? Are you, no. You're I'm, against I'm it? far from a fan. I think anything where you have already... Planted I, I, a mask. I, yeah, I don't mind a, a planned kind of choreographed celebration to a certain extent. Just no prop. Um, yeah, but you know, to to be ballsy enough to go and put something somewhere. Uh, you know, I saw Aubameyang do it in the Europa League the other week as well. I just, it's just a bit embarrassing, really. I, I would say personally. What about you? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a massive fan. It was quite amusing to see the guy in the crowd who had a very similar mask on and uh, they kind of went to him every time some, something happened. He and can get in the sea as well. He, yeah, he didn't look very, very happy at, at full time, that's for sure. And I, I think now we need to probably address what happened in the last 10 minutes because not a huge amount happened between the 60th minute and then towards the end of the, the 79th minute. Gerard De La Feo came off the bench and stepped up with one of the best goals that we've seen at Wembley for a long time, especially in club football and it was it was Messi esque in I don't in, know in how parts. he did it. I still don't really understand you know, the 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 angle of his leg. I just I don't know. Very whippy, wasn't it? It was it was kind of curled and whipped over a massive goalkeeper in John Ruddy. It was a it was a bunker shot. It, it was, was very a flop. much a it was yeah, like a flop. Yeah. Very much a bunker shot slash a foot action of a spinner in cricket. I don't know. It's just a yeah. It's, it's a, a a magnificent goal. You know that and that changed the whole course of the game, didn't it? It did, really? didn't it? And Wolves were obviously on the back foot. Nuno Espirito Santo took off probably yeah. their most attacking thinking players. And I don't think it's a terrible decision. I, I think it's been well. I've seen a little bit of criticism about it as well. You know, you're in a Wembley semi-final, you you need to shore things up. Yeah, I agree on one hand, but I think what it did was allow Watford to come onto them and, and they, they lost any protection that they had for their back four because the players in front naturally got dragged back and there was no out ball and uh, Jimenez was completely isolated. And what it meant was every time Wolves cleared the ball, Watford were able to just mount another attack. And, and with somebody like Troy Deeney in that 18-yard box, at some point, 
there is going to be an opportunity and we need to talk a little bit about the penalty because I'm still not convinced it was a penalty I think that there was a very small amount of contact but in that scenario I wouldn't expect a player of Troy Deeney's size to to go down and I know that Michael Oliver had a perfect view and obviously we've got VAR and that should clear it up but even having seen it from different angles I'm still not 100% convinced I think it was a penalty for me you know there was absolutely no kind of intention or malice there he came from the wrong side of him so he he just didn't see you know he was making a genuine attempt to clear the ball and unfortunately if, if someone comes from behind you to to get in front of your foot then then that's what's going to happen I, I think it's I think you're right that I think the question is more the the kind of intent but at that stage of the game anywhere anywhere on the pitch you would expect a foul to be given and, and it's just the way it's fallen regardless of whether it was on or wasn't a penalty the the way it was taken by Troy Deeney was was kind of never in doubt I don't think there was anyone that Watford players would have rather had taken that penalty and we've seen him do it in pressure situations previously and he's he's got those big balls that he talks about, hasn't he? He's it's become a bit of a character, hasn't he, over the last couple of years? And I, you know, aside from from some of the things that you may question in his history, he's shown himself to be um, a, a very good character within a football club, a very good leader. Uh, he leads by example on the pitch. I, I think quite often he is is a, a rare breed of someone who is willing to speak their mind you may not always agree with what they've got to say but equally i don't think he cares whether everyone agrees with what he's got what he's got to say I, I think it's just refreshing to see someone actually being very honest about stuff and you know it was it was interesting to see some of his interviews after the game and how he talked about the pressure of the penalty and it, he just seemed very very comfortable with it all and and i think that sort of kind of calm composed uh, head on those shoulders is somebody that can lead that team to, who knows, potentially a trophy. I, I just, I wish there was more people like him out there. I, I wish there was more characters because the amount of media training that goes on with footballers nowadays, we don't see this honest approach when it comes to post-match really. And and he's come out and obviously he's he's got a lot of credit from what happened at the weekend. But not only that, the way that he spoke about the fact that they were going to enjoy the occasion and not worry about Manchester City because they won't prepare for the game until the week beforehand and it is refreshing and obviously everybody expects Manchester City to win the final however I think Watford will go there with an approach that you know what we were 2-0 down with 10 minutes left of the semi and we managed to overcome that and we haven't even gotten to talk about the winning goal yet but it just shows that they've got the characters in there that could take them a long way in that final and I think that although Guardiola would probably rather have played Watford than Wolves having watched that game back he will understand that they've got players that can cause them problems and we've already talked about Telefeo the, the the impact that he had in coming off the bench and he obviously got the winner in in extra time and it was it was a very well taken goal before we move on do you think it was a goalkeeping error or do you think it was just opportunism on his part and Ruddy just wasn't set and 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 therefore unable to get down to the ball probably a bit of both I think the fact that the shot came when it did probably didn't help Ruddy's case um equally he could have maybe positioned himself to be in a better place in the first place but I, I think you can't take any credit away from the finish um I was rightfully annoyed because obviously I was looking at penalties the second that final whistle goes in normal time absolutely that's the only thing I'm looking for I'm looking for 30 minutes of rather dull action where I can just switch off for a bit and then just prepare myself for the uh, penalty shootout but you know, massive credit to to Delafeu in particular, who's shown it in glimpses this season, and 
he's um he he's a real quality player at times and i think he offers Watford a, a slightly different dimension as well they are generally quite a strong and powerful unit uh, they don't necessarily play too much intricate football they they don't have many technicians you'd say and he um yeah just he you give him the ball he has the opportunity to create something from nothing um and he you know he's ultimately gone and won that game for them he has indeed talking of winning games we're going to spend no more than a minute and a half on this this is all all we've we've allocated because the other semi-final was for four minutes a real spectacle an opportunity (laughs) to enjoy some of the great football that Manchester City play and they deservedly took the lead on the four minute mark through Gabriel Jesus a great ball in from Kevin De Bruyne yep and then nothing happened yeah and fortunately I didn't watch it I wasn't able to watch it and I I checked the score after about five minutes and saw they were 1-0 up and thought right it's pointless watching it anyway because I think we all know what's going to happen and then I checked it again maybe about 70 minutes and they were still 1-0. I was, I was thinking, hang on a minute, is there anything worth watching? And then I switched on for a couple of minutes. I saw a few bits and pieces on Twitter and yeah, but that was about all I needed to see, to be honest. And to be honest, we've talked enough about Manchester City this season. I think obviously there was the flashpoint with Kyle Walker in the first half where he could have seen red for the headbutt, if you like, on, on your hand batch. And from there... Nothing really happened until I think it was Shane Duffy had a header in the second half, which kind of got close to the goal, but that was cleared by Laporte. The most impressive thing for me from this game is the state of David Silva's new hair, the the luscious nature of of the locks that have been reinvigorated since his hair transplant. It was kind of almost worth looking like Yapstam for eighteen <laughs> months to 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 come away with that level of Barnet. So if you haven't seen the game don't worry just look at david silver's hair I, I i love david silver just just in general I, I love him and you know he's a he's a he's just a lovely man he is and i'm not sure how long he'll be around for for manchester city i i think he's probably coming towards the sort of twilight of his premier league career he's he's already talked about possibly going back to valencia and and, and finishing up over there and You'd argue he's been one of the best midfielders to grace the Premier League. Anyway, enough about the Premier League, enough about Valencia and Spain. It's time to go a little bit further south to Portugal, where our Lisbon Lions continued their impressive form with a sixth victory on the bounce, Mitchell. Yes. They beat Rio Ave 3-0 on Sunday, and uh, the Lions took the lead in the 12th minute through Luis Felipe and doubled their lead before half-time when our mate Bruno Fernandes took away a penalty. The route was sealed in the 54th minute by the wonderfully named Wendell. Simpsons fa- Simpson <laughs> fans everywhere will know what I mean when I say it was a sick finish. And that leaves Sporting firmly in third place. Uh, the two teams above them also won, as they always seem to do. But fourth place have now dropped to three points behind. Only the top two qualify for the Champions League in Portugal, so it looks like another season in the Europa League for Sporting next season, as they are eight points off the top two. But, like I say, another victory, and that will do them no harm that is the first and only time we will ever use the word sick on this podcast but it was totally worth it absolutely well that's it for portugal spain and england join us after this break where we're going to the quiz Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast. We are going to do the quiz, Michael. I'm excited. I bet you are. Yeah, five points for you. 
last week, yes. and um, that that's made it a little bit closer. I think six, it's six point gap now. Yeah, which is the closest it's been for quite a while, and I'm hoping that I'm able to rebuild some of that lead that I lost last week. I am in the chair this week, Mitch, and uh, I assume we're sticking with the Blockbusters theme. It would be Blockbusters a ever, my bad friend. time to change as we're so close to the end of the season. Indeed. And what letter are you asking for first? Oh, I would like an S, please, Bob. No. Any S's in there? No. Okay. Close to an S. A T. No. An R. An R. R is for Ronaldo. Not that one, the original one. He played for five European clubs. Can you name them all? Oh my God, no, absolutely not. Really? Uh, no, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Inter Milan. Yeah. Who else did he play for in Europe? Two more. Uh, uh, I'm just making noises like a you sheep now. You'll kick yourself if you don't get these. Well, I I genuinely don't think I'm gonna get these. Um, I thought everyone knew this. No. So, are you saying that the ones that I've got so far yeah, are the harder right. ones than... Um, they're the three in the middle. So, there's one at the start, one at the end. Did he ever play for AC Milan? He did. That was at the end. Ah, oh, so who's the... So, this one's the first one. The first yep. one that he played for yep. in Europe. Yep. Um, I don't know why, but in my head I've I've got a, a Portuguese team. Uh, I'm going to go for Sporting Lisbon. PSV. Did not know that. Really? Well, I mean, I now you say it, I do, but I mean, I like, I, I just wouldn't have ever got it. Well, there you go. PSV. Yeah. PSV. Barca, Inter, Real, AC, Milan. Why is for yellow? Who has more Premier League yellow cards? Their name: Robbie Savage or Lee Bowyer. I'm gonna go for. I think it was a myth that Robbie Savage got booked that much. I'm gonna go for Lee Bowyer. Correct. Ninety-nine. Savage. Eighty-nine. We've got fair people. Yes. <laughs> they are both horrible. Horrible people. Okay, that's one point. P is for Player of the Year. We expect Raheem Sterling to be sniffing around the Player of the Year on us this year. But can you tell me who the last Englishman was to win Manchester City's Player of the Year award? Um, uh, right, okay. I mean, it's quite a tough one, this. Yeah, I suppose it just depends. I'm going to go James Milner. No, it's not a bad shout, though. Gareth Barry? Before that. That was Sean Wright Phillips. All oh, right, okay. 2004. It's been like 15 years without an Englishman winning that award. It's quite a while. Indeed. O is for own goals. This is your big chance now. Right, okay. Listen carefully. There are seven players who have scored six or more Premier League own goals. Can you name two for one point, three for two, four for three... Five for four, six for five, or all seven <laughs> for ten points. Ten points for ten all seven. Ten points for all seven. Uh, no. But you have to give me a guess. I'm going to go for two. Two? Yeah. Just for one point? I'm going to go for Richard Dunn yep. and Jamie Carragher. You're going to kick yourself, I suspect. If you Yes, that's correct, of course. So you get one point. Right. If you were going to go for any more? Uh, I didn't really think too, too far ahead. Um... Well, there's who else? So who else got might have scored Carragher got seven, and someone else got seven too. John it? Terry? Nope. No. Um, Tony? I, I, I honestly don't know. I think that's the thing. I, Tony, I, who I was going to say Tony Adams. No. No. Go so, on. So, Skirtle was on seven as well. Right. And then on six, you've got Wes Brown, <laughs> Phil Jagielka, right. Ryan Shawcross, yeah. and of course, Frank Sinclair. Frank Sinclair. Prolific own goal scorer. Indeed. Right. 
I think two was the right decision there. <laughs> I th- I genuinely thought you would have got another couple. Got Certainly with Frank Sinclair. Got to play it safe, Mitch, okay. at this, this stage in the competition. All right. It's not about performances, it's about points. It's all about performances. W is for Welsh men in your final question. There are five players to have scored Premier League hat-tricks that have represented Wales. Can you name three of them, and I'll give you a guess as well, because I'm feeling kind. Okay. <laughs> so you've got to name three, but you can guess four. Um, so I'll go for Robert Earnshaw. Correct. I will go for... Gareth Bale. Correct. Uh, part of me feels like he must have scored a... Ryan Giggs. Incorrect. That's why I gave you the guess. Right. I thought you'd go there. Yeah. So you got one guess for one answer. Craig Bellamy. Incorrect. Really? Never scored a Premier League nope. trick. So you've got... Another horrible man. Bale, Ramsey, Earnshaw, Speed, Hughes and Dean Saunders. Yeah, I deliberately boycotted Mark Hughes on that one. No time for that man either. Probably should have gone with him though, shouldn't you? Yeah. I'm surprised at Bellamy, actually. Good point. I'm surprised Ryan Giggs went through his I know, Premier yeah. League career and not... Madness. Didn't score three goals. Had he been on there, obviously I wouldn't give you the guess because you'd have just got it. I would. So you've got two points. I'll take it. So that stretches the lead to eight. With not many weeks to go, mate. No, probably four, four or five. We'll have to properly have a look and see. Definitely not unassailable. No, I think I've, I think I've got it in the locker. I'll happily win fantasy football. Could be the comeback of all time. Anyway, get in touch with us. If you want to slate our quiz knowledge, as as we have had people before, you can get us on Twitter at The Sweep Pod, Instagram, Facebook, search The Sweep Podcast. Email us at thesweeppodcast at gmail.com and get all over listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Don't forget the reviews. Yeah, get the reviews in. That would be lovely. Um, It's probably worth a quick mention that... uh, Chris Platt is going to be running the London Marathon very soon. I am going to tweet out the links later today. We need to uh, do a bit of research, actually. I wonder if uh, Eddie Lee's actually sent that money over to him, the money that we earned for him. Yes, we um, should double we check. Will, yeah, Did you see we'll Richarlison on uh, Sunday? No. Look like a newborn giraffe or something. Oh, right. I see. I see that his agents have also been trying to get a little bit of interest in him for the summer. Apparently one of the clubs that they've offered him to is Liverpool. Aldershot. Um, honestly... The more I think about it, the more I think he will drift off into obscurity. Yeah, Mina has been good as well, hasn't he? Well, he was my main shout. If if Mina came, he was the one that was going to be my flop of the year. Who did you go with? Uh, let's not go there. We're going to come I back. I genuinely can't remember. I went with Felipe was. Anderson, and he's been pretty good, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. He'll, he'll get Hammer of the Year. Hammer year. of the Year. We will, of course, be uh, rounding up our shouts from the start of the season towards <laughs> the end of this season, and... Uh, I can't really remember anything that I went for other than that Felipe Anderson one. So uh, I look forward to, to finding out what it was that we predicted back at the start of the season. Shall we then? Let's do it. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Cheers. Bye. Come and say it. You are expecting me to say it. You don't want to it. Which one? The deal back problem. Okay. That's funny. Made me laugh.